We're continuing through our Holy Home series. We started by thinking about the front yard, then we went to the coat room, and then uh, last week we talked about the living room, and today we're moving away from the living room and entering into the kitchen, spending time doing some cooking this week. And what better way to talk about cooking than to talk about bread? Jesus talking about being the bread of life. Now, good homemade bread, I think, is equal parts simple and deeply complicated. You know, one level, it's basically just tossing some dry ingredients together along with some oil and some water, and you get some rice and you bake it off, and that's it. How many of you actually are, have baked bread by hand from scratch? Okay, so any of you who just heard me say that are like, yeah, Adam, do you really know what you're talking about? Because it is a bit more complicated than that, right? You know, when you do certain things, there are certain requirements of temperature, certain requirements of proportions. It's not something that you literally can just, you know, have the six-year-old and the four-year-old have some fun throwing things like you see in so many commercials, right? And then magically a loaf of bread comes out on the back end of it. All the component parts themselves are not nearly as simple as it sounds like. And the one that I often think about a lot is yeast. Right before we left to go to seminary, Lindsay and I went on a day in Bexley. It feels like, you know, we summered in Bexley for a day. Um, And it was all about how to do certain, like, um, homesteading things in Bexley. And so it was kind of like, hey, learn about these things. I know that also sounds like a contradiction in terms, but... This really did happen. Um, We learned about how to care for chickens. So there are chickens in Bexley. We learned how to take care of chickens. We also learned how to bake sourdough bread. I had never done this before, but I felt like I needed to get back to some kind of roots. And so I thought, I'm going to learn how to use sourdough. So this person who taught us how to use a sourdough starter, how to bake sourdough bread, also offered at the end of the whole thing to give us a portion of her starter so, you know, we could go back and, and, and do some of our own stuff. Now, if any of you have had a sourdough starter, you know that it's not just kind of something that you use periodically. It's kind of like a pet. You have to feed it. You have to let it out. Otherwise, it's going to make a mess all over your house. If you do take care of that sourdough starter, though, it will return multiples of love back to you in return. Typically in the form of delicious bread. I have made bagels out of sourdough starter, focaccia. I mean, really, anything that you think to yourself you want a lot of carbohydrates in... That sourdough starter will help you out. And all you simply have to do is put a little bit of flour, a little bit of water, mix it together, and just keep taking off the top. Taking off the top. Taking off the top. My first sourdough starter lasted four years. I am so proud of this. I had even figured out how to transport my sourdough starter from Columbus to Austin. You can freeze dry sourdough starters. So any of you who have one and you're like, I've held this thing for so long, it was willed to me by my grandmother, I got to make sure it sticks around, what do I do? You can put a thin layer 
on a baking sheet with aluminum foil. And so long as it's so thin that it will easily dry up, you can toss it in the freezer and you have instant sourdough starter chips. That just a little bit of water and flour will restart it again. There you go. There's your, there's your food TV tip from, from, from me this week. So mine lasted for four years, but I had run out of the freeze-dried starter by the time I came back, so I'm still on the lookout for a new starter. So if any of y'all have uh, some spare starter, which I know you do, if you have one, feel free to toss some my way sometime. But these things can last a long time. The longest one that I heard of as I was researching this week was 122 years. Some family in Wisconsin had one for 122 years. Apparently, it was this person who is now in her 80s. It was her grandmother, and it went something like her grandmother's, her grandfather, her grandmother's husband, also known as a grandfather, um, was a professor, and it was one of their students that gave them the original sourdough starter. 122 years it's been maintained. She said, like, it's... Not, you know, it's not indestructible, but, you know, you can manage it. Sometimes we would forget it, and it would go in the fridge for a while, and we'd be able to pull it out. Um, You know that sometimes if that sourdough starter sits in the fridge long enough, it really does not look appealing at all. It gets sort of a a film on top. It starts to turn odd colors, and um, you kind of clear out the the liquid and, and kind of pick it up again. Gosh, so much. Who knew you could wrap a whole sermon around fungi? But it's interesting because I think that yeast is probably one of the things that when we think about the mighty players in a loaf of bread, it's not the one that gets the most excitement, right? It's not the one that we say, yes, yeast! You know, you'll pick the right, you'll, you'll make sure to pick the King Arthur flower, You'll make sure not to go with the simple, but, you know, the yeast. That's not the one we talk about. It's kind of interesting. So if we're thinking about bread and we're thinking about the bread of life, it's interesting that while Jesus declares himself the bread of life, and he does it like six or seven times in this discourse in John 6, you're not going to leave John 6 without recognizing God, Jesus sees himself as the bread of life. What he doesn't do is he doesn't claim himself to be doing anything more than what God has called him to do. So if we are Christians who uh, want to be more like Jesus, it would beg to reason that perhaps we too are trying to figure out, at least in our own little way, what does it mean to be the bread of life? What Jesus said here is that what we hope for when we open our doors, right? These are the things that we pray about, that people who come through the doors of Old Stone Presbyterian Church would never be hungry, would never be thirsty, that they would be taken care of. And that can mean in a literal sense. I think if somebody walked through these doors at the middle of service and said, I am hungry, I need something to eat, my expectation is some of y'all would get up and go to the kitchen and get some crackers, and get some cookies, and literally everything else that we have in there. I've got some bread here we could cut off, but we would stop, and we would take care of this person. I would be surprised if we did anything otherwise. 
So it could be literal, but it could also be spiritual. Ideally, we're walking through these doors every Sunday, and where we are hungry, we find food. Where we are thirsty, we find drink. The bread of life is coming into this world as we speak, and it is good and it's right. But again, Jesus even recognized that it isn't necessarily his will that gets done on earth, but it is God who's calling the shots. And all simply Jesus is saying is the bread of life is I'm here. I'm going to do the will of the one who sent me. I'm going to do the will of my father. So I wonder, and this would not sound as cool in John 6, but I wonder if it's more appropriate to think about Jesus as the yeast of life. Again, not something that's really good if you're evangelizing on the street to be like, brothers and sisters, we are the yeast of life. It's not going to get very many people to talk to you versus bread of life. The yeast, after all, are one of the most defining parts of the bread. They have no will in the preparation of that bread. They are an important ingredient, but they are poured out for their task. I very rarely use that yeast for anything else than something bread-related that is going to satiate my hunger and satiate the hunger of those around me. Without that yeast, though, the bread is flat, listless, hardly more than a stale cracker. Certainly not able to be transformed to what the baker needs. You know, however, I I think about this, though, and I think that sounds like a really sad life for yeast. If we settle on something like what we get in the store, like I have here, this oftentimes is our perception of yeast, right? Freeze-dried in a packet, in suspended animation, doing nothing until it is torn open having a brief animated life once again, only to be baked off at the end. If that's all that we thought about yeast, that would be a really sad way to think about the yeast of life. Jesus, you showed up, we reanimated you, you lived for a few years, and then that was it. I know sometimes, though, that's the way we can think about how God acts in this world, right? That God is kind of somewhere suspended off and only shows up at a period of time and then disappears again. I don't think, certainly if we're thinking about yeast and really good yeast, this is super convenient. But I don't think it tells the whole story of this simple, simple animal. Instead, I like to think about my sourdough starter starter that's always being fed, always producing more. And from the excess of that starter comes the bread, the bagel, the focaccia, the things that feed the world. And given enough when it is fed, it lasts for decades. And even partially partially neglected, put in the fridge, Slowing down, it can hold its own in that slowed state for a period of time. But it is at its best, and those of you who have ever used one know what I'm saying, it is at its best when it has a corner of your kitchen constantly being fed, 
constantly being brought to life and constantly being used over and over and over again. And gosh, isn't that a great example of what the church can be? That when we're fed, when we bring life to this world, when we are doing the things that we're called to do, Grow and we grow, and from that overflow is precisely how we're able to give so richly in ministry. And yeah, you know what? We can even go in dormant periods if we need to. We're not at our best when we're dormant, but we still survive. But we are at our best when we are being fed the things that we need, and we go out into this world to do the thing that we're called to do. And that seems particularly appropriate on a Sunday like today, right? Where in a few short minutes after we sing, we're going to invite our new elders and deacons and trustees down. We're going to ask some questions of the congregation. We're going to ask some questions of the people. And for one person in particular who has not been an elder before, we are going to ordain this person. And we're going to welcome them into what it means to be an elder, Many of you have gone this path already. But it's not the same. The church isn't the same. We're not the same if we aren't fed. If it isn't part of the larger whole that pushes us on, invites us to go forward. Because here's the thing, y'all. None of the folks that are going to enter into leadership today are different than any of the rest of you who will not be entering into leadership today. You might not be yeast, but you are flour. You are sugar. You are the mixer. You are the oven. You are all of those pieces, each one integral, in order to feed the world what it needs the most. But keep in mind, friends, that those who are going to come up here today are no different than any of the rest of you. Our polity, the way that we think about things in the Presbyterian Church, says that all that this is doing is setting aside a group of people for a particular purpose. And to take that one step further, the vows that I spoke to each of you about a year and a half ago are about that much different than what the elders who are here today will say. We're all ingredients in a very important recipe driven by the master baker. We do the things that we're called to do. And when we are at our best, we are blooming with new life and we go out and create Friends, if there's one place where we can recognize the new life around us, it may be in the kitchen. Maybe we're not the bread. Maybe we're not the baker. We are some of the most important ingredients without which the bread ceases to exist. So friends, I invite you. A, if you've never had a sourdough starter, you should get one now. But outside of that, find ways to be fed. We've got all sorts of things going on this month. If you haven't gone to any of these things, go hang out. 
The pizza's free on fourth Friday. The coffee's free on Wednesday. Come hang out. Get to know the people around you. Those relationships, that time, are the flower and the water that help us grow and to help us give ourselves more. If you hadn't had a chance to hang out with some of the youth on Confirmation Sunday, come hang out with us. Get to know the youth who are going through Confirmation. They're learning too. What a recipe we've been given. And what a gift we have. To be part of what causes this bread to rise. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for all the simple ingredients you give us. In all of their complexity, how they work. We're thankful that you are beside us as the baker. As the one who knows the recipe. Because you created the ingredients yourself. Gracious God, as we move through this time and we... uh, Remind ourselves of the leavening here in our leadership. May we all remember that we are all called to be pastors, disciples, elders, and deacons. Because ultimately, we are called to follow you. And all this we ask in your son's name. Amen.